0: I'm Lee. I'm Spencer. And this is the Lasso Lowdown. we give the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. Spencer, we're here, finally. We have been teasing it. Apple Plus has been teasing it. The universe has been teasing it. It's been everywhere. You talk about ubiquitous. This show has really gotten into the zeitgeist. We are here. It's season two. We've seen episode one. Let's
1: review it. I have to ask, Ben, how have you survived the long wait between we last watched season one and this? Have you been able to suffer through this time?
0: I I have, I don't know about our fans though, two days without a pod seems a little much Uh, We did really just wrap up our season one coverage, if you haven't checked that out You can go back and check it out, but we are at season two and as promised Season two episode one debuted yesterday and here we are, podcast professionals that we are Recording the day after, Spencer, how long did it take you to do notes on this episode? Because it is 40 minutes and it is dense, my friend
1: This is easily the densest episode of this show we've had yet. This took a trial of time to get through all of this, to write down all the notes, all the damn references that this episode makes, just right and left as it's going through.
0: So, what is your so, give me just initial thoughts? Because if you've, if you're kind of just joining us, um, I'll give you a bit of a rundown on Spencer. So, (laughs) here's what Spencer likes to do he loves to find new things, enjoy new things, but he generally likes the initial thing right so what does he like star wars a new hope empire strikes back return of the jedi all the rest crap like he generally likes the original genesis of whatever piece of art it is and the later seasons he's typically not a fan and because of that i'm interested to see you know we we talked about it in our season one coverage especially as we we got to up toward the end you know that was such a good season of television show it came out of nowhere It's kind of like a bottle rocket we just did not expect that show to hit the way that it did. We're now at season two. You've seen episode one. What did you think? Did it hold up to the quality? Uh, How are you feeling?
1: You're correct in saying I've got a very well-known love of the first season of countless television shows, and my appreciation declines precipitously from there. First half of this episode had me actually a little bit worried. First half for me, I actually didn't really like it. I felt odd and kind of forced, and there was a lot of like... Really silly, silly, even, like, literally cartoonish humor that just didn't work for me. Really wasn't till like, the back half that it started to click. And then I really liked it. I like the new character they're introducing. I like the arcs of the characters I think they're going on, even if they at times feel a little bit on the nose. So, back half, I was getting engaged with this. First half, I was present.
0: Interesting. Okay, so, I, um... I actually think I'm going to claim a victory here. I did say that, you know, we kind of talked about what we thought season two would look like. And I, my prediction was more of the same catnip for the viewers. They're really going to lean into what Ted Lasso is. And, and in my opinion, that's kind of what they did. They were from from my perspective, they seemed to really want to recreate that sort of jovial, sort of absurd, but ultimately really warm hearted atmosphere that they had in season one. I thought they did that. I will say this. I think the writers room is larger. I think that maybe in season one, Jason Sudeikis was writing this thing by himself. There's clearly a lot more, a um, lot more people writing this because, as you mentioned, it is denser. There's more jokes per line. There's way more references. I actually like all that stuff we've talked about before. Where I think you, it's a comedy drama. It's a, what is it, dramedy? Is that yeah, what they dramedy. call it? You, you Which like sounds like something side, like drama. That sounds like something you take for a cold dramedy. Uh, but I, you I like do
1: watch dramedies for a cold. Good call.
0: <laughs> you like drama, I like the comedy, so I actually really really like this episode. It's probably my top 3 episodes of the the show so far. Oh wow. And I don't I, think I, that's recency bias because it has what I like out of the show, which is like Just give me all the pop culture references, the Teddy, Ted sarcasm, (laughs) the weird obscure moments. Plenty of that. I love when we get dropped in Ted's office and they're just doing weird stuff. Like, all of that is catnip for me. So I really enjoyed the episode.
1: Nice. I would honestly say I'm the complete reverse. I would put it as one of my bottom three episodes, by comparison, of where the first half just did not feel like Ted lasted to me. It felt very forced. Didn't have the kind of just natural, organic feel that I would have expected after a season of them doing this. But... It found its footing for me by the time we made it to the back half.
0: Okay. Well, we'll see if you're, you're sort of normal pattern here. If season two <laughs> declines and then by season three, you're telling me you don't want to do the pod anymore. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Let's do a little bit of housekeeping. We uh, obviously here are uh, at the Lasso Lowdown. are here for season two. We're going to be with you week by week. This show is going to debut at new episodes every Friday on Apple+. Plus. If you are a night owl, that's midnight Pacific time, 3 a.m. Eastern time when the episodes drop, you can get up and watch it uh, or stay up and watch it. And we are going to attempt, uh, do our very best, and we're succeeding today, to get you a pod on the very next day, on the Saturday after it debuts. Um, If you're just joining us here, it's the Mangum Talks podcast. We have a number of podcasts we do on the Mangum Talks channel. You can go to any podcast platform that you like, type in Mangum Talks, and we have a plethora of pods that come up. We do a general interest pod called Mangum Talks. Never's More, where we talk more about the Nevers and HBO show. We did a Game of Thrones review podcast. There's tons and tons of podcasts that we do. We really enjoy doing them. So just go to your favorite podcast platform, type in Mangum Talks, or you can go to MangumTalks.com and check out all our podcasts. So that's enough for the housekeeping. I am ready to jump into the meat of the episode. Let's talk about segments. Our segments here on The Lasso Lowdown, we start with Tea Time with Lee, where I attempt to convince our audience. That tea is actually better than what Ted Lasso seems to think that it is. We have Biscuits with the Boss where Spencer brings a dessert to the podcast. Spencer then leads the recap. We jump into train wreck of the episode, a sports center top ten where we have ten things. Ten on the nose, never more, never less. Ten things that we liked about the episode, and we wrap up with Ted's life lessons of the episode, where we try to rekindle the atmosphere of this show, Ted Lasso, and really wrap up with something that warms your heart. So they're only about ten percent sarcastic. Usually, they're actually uh, life lessons that we really think you can pull out of the out of the episode, and you can really run with. So, with that being said, Spencer, what dessert did you bring with us for biscuits with
1: the boss? Yeah. You know me, I have a well-known love of all kinds of varieties of dessert. I also like to every now and then try things that I, at least from memory, hate. Been enough time, been enough years, been enough maturity and changing taste buds, maybe I'll enjoy them again. You suggested I do oatmeal raisin because you like me flirting with Satan, but I decided to do a secondary version of that and did... Or the Phantom Menace. Or that, too. Try that, too. (laughs) It has been a long time there. Uh, Honestly, Attack of the Clones was the worst one for me, but... A separate topic for debate. We
0: will fight that battle on a different podcast. I know
1: we will. Uh, but, this time around, I'm doing a chocolate and coconut macaroon.
0: Oh, wow. Look at that. I, that's a big macaroon. Did you get it, that from Costco?
1: I did get it from Costco. It's large. Uh, it, is a del- it is a cookie that my girlfriend absolutely adores. It is one that I just don't enjoy coconut in any of its varieties. Liquid, solid, paste, all milk varieties that they throw at you now. Never really liked any of them, but... She adores them. She buys them all the time. I haven't had one in like eight years. Figured I'd give it a go. See what so they I like it now.
0: All right so. while, while Spencer eats that cookie and lets us know if he likes it, I will say that Spencer eats it, a lot of coconut milk in Indian dishes, but he probably doesn't taste the coconut in that, so it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. He's taken a bite. Let's see what's the verdict. Is it any better than you remember?
1: Uh, no. Nobody's right. not. It there still tastes like shredded tree bark covered in chocolate.
0: There we go. Uh, the pod racing was still too long and young Anakin was cast way too young. Phantom Menace <laughs> still sucks. That's what we've mm-hmm. got from Spencer. Good
1: call. Good call.
0: Um, I'll move on to tea time uh, with Lee. I actually try to take this this segment fairly seriously. I try to give you a tea that may be interesting or uh, something that you can you can try on your own uh, to try to get you into the tea game if you're new to the tea game. Doing something different this week, swerving for season two. Up until now, I've been trying teas that you can very easily go out on the internet and buy, right? I did Tivana, uh, I did Republica Tea. I did, you know, um, Harvey and Sons. I did a lot of, you know, mainstream, uh, uh, pr- highly produced, uh, highly distributed teas. Doing something different this time. I went to a farmer's market yesterday. Really? And I got a tea blend that was made by a local just farmers market uh person right like it's not necessarily a farmer but you know these farmers markets now you have a lot of vendors that are there just selling selling things you try to steer away from the multi-level marketing folks right you don't need any of that cheap jewelry but there are some folks there that sell like interesting stuff like honey or soaps um this isn't a vendor that was selling tea and what i will say is that if you like tea and you want to try new tea um, one place that you may not know you can get it is at your local farmer's markets or fairs or, you know, just sort of local gatherings. Because a lot of people either grow tea here in the United States. I know, shocking, but they do. Or mm-hmm. they order tea and they do their own blend. And that's what this person did. They ordered tea and they did their own blend. I bought it from a local vendor. And apropos of the episode, Spencer, shout out to me. It's Earl Grey. <laughs>
1: Well done, sir. Well it's done.
0: Earl Grey a la crème. So it's a, uh, a black tea, a typical um, Earl Grey blend that they have added citrusy flavor, uh, paired with spicy clove um, from uh, cornflower, cairn flour. So uh, it's got ba- basically when I smelled it, it smelled it did smell like Earl Grey, but it also had a uh, very sweet smell, almost like some dessert teas. So I'm gonna mm. give that a try right now. It is very hot, but it is delicious.
1: Better Um, than... The the standards for this podcast segment is, is it better than pigeon sweat?
0: Much better than pigeon sweat. It's not uh, stale, dark brown water. It is better than pasta water.
1: Oh, Um, sir. Don't say things you don't make.
0: Better than day-old pasta water. Yeah, it's very good. (laughs) So I would just tell everybody, um, I really like Earl Grey. That's why I went with an Earl Grey blend. But if you like tea, you want to try a new tea, go to your farmer's market. There's probably a vendor there. You can pick something up. So there you go. That is tea time with Lee Spencer. I think it is time. That we jump into the recap, because I imagine uh, this might be one of the longer recaps that you do, this would be my
1: guess. Uh, me and my five pages of notes will try to go as fast as possible. But yes, we have our comfort foods, we are ready to go. The episode starts apparently after a pretty significant time jump. I mean, I'm figuring a matter of months have passed since we last saw them at least, right? Wait, can I pause you?
0: Um, did you see the recap that they did before the episode of season one? Pretty thorough, yeah. Did, I have never seen a recap that made me tear up before
1: whoever pulled that
0: together I just want to give a shout out that was a really well done recap of season one I mean I just got done breaking it down like scene by scene with you you'd think I'd be sick of it and I thoroughly enjoyed it I thought that was it, well done it,
1: it is interesting to see a recap that isn't just purely to hit the story beats that also hits the emotional tenor of what you watched yeah. this did that very well and that's hard to pull off so that's, a good thing. that's a good call to, uh, give them all kudos now, with the episode itself, months have seemingly passed. People actually look significantly older at several points, too, that we're going to reference, uh, which I guess is probably a result of the production. May. Man, May. May aged 20 uh, years. I was going to comment on May. May looks significantly older. I was actually a little bit worried about the actress. Uh, Ted's son looks a lot older, but there's not a damn thing you can do about that. Yep. Um. But Shout out in the In the uh, we start with a slow zoom out from Nate's eyes coming to our coaching trio who are at the bitter end of a Richmond game. The crowd is going nuts because Danny Ross. She catch you catch who, who they're playing. No, actually, I actually didn't
0: write it down. N- Nottingham Forest, and I, I check this out. It's a real team that's actually in the Champions League right now. So I like it, the consistency there.
1: There are several references to real teams. This is clearly we are replacing. Well, we're not, they're not even replacing. We are supplementing a real team in, in, in the world right now. Is what they're doing with Richmond. Yep. Danny's are independently kick. The crowd is going wild. We're in extra minutes. This could be the last moment of where they notably can break this 2-2 tie to end their streak of seven straight ties to start this season. Their record is, is 0-7-0. <laughs> only in soccer. Only in soccer. Uh apparently this is going to have to be actually a record for the Championship League if they can able if they're able to go to, you know, 0-8-0. Everybody is well, the crowd is going to hush silence, Beard and Nate are crossing their fingers and praying as Danny lines up to take his shot. And everyone is giving him the peace that he needs to focus on this other than our newly appeared mascot, Earl Greyhound. Now, the suggestion in this episode is that he is a very long-term mascot. But am I correct that we saw nothing of this creature in season one?
0: No, all we saw was the, the logo that did have a what looked like a Greyhound um, dog on it. But no, we never actually saw the what? dog in season one.
1: What are your thoughts on his sudden appearance? Was this being essentially added in for this the sake of this joke, or was there some in story explanation? Do you think why he's not why he wasn't present?
0: So and this is what I bring to the podcast, right? The sports perspective. I will tell you that um, it's pretty common uh, for sport teams if they have a mascot that's an animal, and they actually have an animal that you know, is is fulfilling the sort of like, hey, this is our like Ramsey, right, for UNC or like mm-hmm. uh, the bulldog for the Georgia. Um, if they actually have an animal that's fulfilling that mascot role, it's not uncommon for them to bring them to big games, not every game. So gotcha. like rivalry games were in this situation where it was clear they were putting a lot into this game to try to break the streak. So I actually bought that they would bring the mascot to Ye- the game.
1: You by that logic, you would have thought you would have seen him during the Man City game to wrap up the season, given that it was the hinging point for whether they would be relegated or not.
0: Yeah, but possibly.
1: May, maybe he was there and we just didn't see him. Uh, Danny recites his maxim: "Football is life." He's determined to give the team the win, and things immediately go back into slow motion. Danny's going in for his shot, Uh-oh. but while he's doing so. Earl gets away from his very aged master, gets off the Uh-oh. leash, and charges after a remarkably CGI dove. Like, Uh-oh. real obvious CGI dove. He leaps, Uh-oh. he's going to get it, he's excited, and he gets directly into no. the path of Danny's certain-to-score penalty kick and takes the shot right to the side of his head. Oh! He whimpers, he falls, the crowd goes absolutely silent, with the only comment offered being Nate swearing that wasn't what he was wishing for.
0: Okay, so I got a couple things on this. First, first is that, and this is apropos of nothing. I've totally done this in golf, where not with a dog, but with a bird. Where <laughs> I hit okay. a, I hit a ball, and a bird flew across the sky, and the, my ball hit the Aww. bird, and it looked you like. Looked like the bird exploded. It was like a you
1: had a Randy Johnson moment.
0: Yeah, and actually, what happened is I bladed it, which that means nothing to you, but people who play golf know what I mean. And it was going to f- go fifty yards over the green, and it hit the bird and actually rolled up to about twelve feet. So you know, RIP the bird, but you know, help me out. All right, two, and much more serious. I am stunned that the show started this way. They have marketed this show up to the point that literally the tagline from Apple is, quote, kindness makes a comeback. They have marketed this show as a feel good, make you feel good. And we have talked about on other podcasts that we've done. On this podcast channel, Spencer, that some people find the death of dogs in media harder to deal with than the death of humans to the point that there are actually websites that track if dogs die and shit so that you can Mm -hmm. stay away from it.
1: Does the dog die dot com? It it does not.
0: This did not take me out of the episode, but I guess that there are probably millions of people who watch this and want to turn it off immediately that they went with a dead dog. And then it was kind of like joked about a little bit. Like, I, I thought it was a... I understand they this was part of a plot point and they were getting to something. I just would have not gone down the road of like murdering a dog.
1: I, I didn't like this decision. And it's not even because I'm particularly broken up about them killing a dog. I think it's an odd You don't odd like cult? dogs. I have a dog, man. I like my dog. It's other people's dogs that can stuff it. Um, it's a situation for me of where them starting with a literal kick the dog is an odd tonal shift for the show. And like you said, the fact that they play it for silly, it's almost like it's meant to be an odd off laugh. Oh God, someone slipped on a banana peel in aggressive form is kind of weird. It fits a lot of the silliness that kind of marks this the, the opening of, the, the of very parts of this episode. So I, it's a weird decision, I think, on their part, though it sets up what they want to for introducing a character later. So maybe that's the reason they did it in this kind of shocking format.
0: It's by far my least favorite part of the episode that they went with a dog murder. I did not like that.
1: Also, from a rule standpoint, I asked a few friends that are more into uh, soccer football than I am. Uh, both of them noted two different reasons for why this should not have stopped the play. Uh, one noted that normally if the ball is not doesn't, doesn't go into the goal or is not caught, it would still remain in play for other players to run at it. Correct. Another... Another, player said, another person said that if it actually hits an interfering object, a re-kick is mandatory.
0: So I believe that the way it works is um, it's a difference between, quote, interfering object and a natural occurrence. So they, the mm-hmm. referees would have to make a call on if the dog interfered or if the dog running onto the pitch was part of a natural occurrence. I would guess that they would re-kick the thing. That would be I,
1: I, I would guess maybe Danny blew it Or maybe again we're just leaving this scene behind Because it set up what it needed to.
0: Maybe, Yeah maybe yeah. he re-kicked it and, and he had the <gasps> I'm not going to say it We'll get
1: there uh, Rebecca and Higgins then are, oh, we go. Wait with, a second we, our, we go to the credits We have our intro
0: and it's the same, it's the same intro one. Aren't you happy Spencer?
1: I'm content yes You were putting fears in my head that we would have an entirely rewritten intro here I like this intro It's perfectly functional and enjoyable
0: I told uh, you it would be the same intro. That was that was fake news. You were the you one did. that was worried about that. Um, and I will say that it was. Uh, I always always check this record. Um, two minutes and twelve seconds to get to the credits. That is right in the middle. It is not yeah. too short, not too long,
1: not too rushed. Uh, Rebecca and Higgins are discussing the demise of Earl and whether fl- whether fans will blame them. Higgins tries to reassure Rebecca of the idea that, oh, well, you know, since we've been relegated, we're not all our games aren't televised. To which Rebecca then has to remind Higgins that the internet is a thing.
0: Oh, the goddamn
1: internet. Yes, the goddamn internet never lets anything be buried and die.
0: I feel like goddamn is used a
1: lot more by British than Americans. I think so, too. I'm quite fond of the phrase, though. Uh, Keely arrives and notes that Twitter is going insane. No surprise there. And Rebecca reveals that she doesn't know much about memes, particularly not the Michael Jordan crying one. <laughs> no,
0: and I love that, like, Keely obviously is my homegirl, um, and I love that her her introduction to season two is, Twitter is going bonkers. Yeah, it's yeah. great. That's really good.
1: Uh, she apparently doesn't recognize Michael Jordan crying meme is a thing, and actually is concerned that Michael Jordan may be crying over the death of this dog. Uh, Keely was apparently tasked with writing a statement for Ted to say concerning Earl's death, but... Ted, in his don't you fret, Boba Fett kind of way of saying things, apparently has it covered. Did in the media enjoy, room.
0: Did you enjoy Keely's um, impression of Ted as much as I it, did?
1: It further proves how much better she is at impressions than Roy is because it was on point for me. Don't you fret, Boba Fett. Perfect tone, perfect tenor. Well done, Keely. Ted's in the media room, which is, would you agree, definitely less crowded than last year? Yeah, for sure. Well, it's champion League now. It's not Premier League soccer, so. Looks like they have new chairs, though, so they're fewer people but more comfortable. Uh, he's fielding questions about team performance and whether they're worried about draws with his usual skill and aplomb. When Trent Crim steps up and... I didn't like that everybody stole his fire. It's like they didn't do that at all last season. This is his thing, and every other journalist steps in to do it as if this has been something that's been building up off camera. I didn't really like that that much.
0: I liked it. It's like they're they're sick of him every time he. I, I thought it, it was like building to like, oh yeah, we know, we know.
1: It felt it felt like the show being self aware rather than the characters being self aware to me.
0: Well, but didn't didn't they do the, a, a similar type of thing when Ted was like Ted Krim,
1: the uh, Daily Mail? But it was, Ted, it was Ted doing it. Now, now now the entire audience, the entire crowd, the listeners are doing it. But Trent Grimm steps up and asks the key question. What about Earl? What do you have to say about the death of a dog and the continuation of your long-scale tying spree?
0: Well, you know I like I like the Trent Grimm character. You know that yes. I do. And I, I, I would probably like him if he was a real person. I did not like the phrase of the question. I would have been like, wait a second. I don't like how you asked that. Because he said, what about Earl, the dog that
1: Danny killed today? Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Come on, man. A dog died today. Don't put this on Danny. This was entirely accidental. Ted ignores that particular one and goes into a very Ted story. He delays a moment for answering and then goes into this background about when he was a kid, like age three, he's been attacked by a neighbor's dog and that he was afraid of dogs as a child. There ever after until that neighbor's wife died and he stopped k- taking care of the dog due to emotional trauma whatever else. And so Ted stepped in.
0: Yeah. I have the quote if you want it.
1: You have the full quote? Please deliver yeah, it to us.
0: I did the full quote just because I thought it was like, all right. So, um, Full disclosure, a dog that was pretty close to me literally died this last week. I'm not kidding. I know that sounds like I'm making that up, but it did. And so I I started tearing up and crying crying during this because I was thinking thinking about that dog. Uh, And I think a lot of other people did. So I thought, I don't know, it's totally death, death as the them killing a dog like to start the episode was. I thought that like they gave us a little bit of honey right here in the middle of it. And it's and then a year or so after that, we had to put um, then a year or so after that. Uh, we had to put Hank to sleep. This is the Hank, Hank, the dog that he ended up taking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny to think about the things in your life that make you cry just knowing that they existed. Then they become the same thing that makes you cry knowing that they're now gone. Mm-hmm. I think that those things come in our lives to help us get from one place to a better place. And I hope we helped Earl do just that. We're going to miss him around here a whole bunch. Woo! Spencer, Niagara Falls in the George Waterfield household. Ah, was crying.
1: Now, like you've done, you've done political work before. You've done damage control. You've done media consulting. How would you score this addressing the dog's death by Ted Lasso? I mean, it, so it, it's kind of hard,
0: right? Because um, it was really, really good. Obviously, I mean, he—he. He, I mean, did you see the smile from Trent after he finished? He,
1: I noted the little Trent Krim half smile. He clearly thought that was well done.
0: And I, you, Rebecca, was in the back, like blown away. Like, yeah, that's that's my guy. That's the guy I'm paying the coach's salary. If I'm Danny, I'm not crazy about it because I also like, obviously I watch a lot of sports and i watch a lot of press conferences by coaches. And there are a lot of coaches out there who would have taken this moment to say, sorry about the dog. Let me talk a little bit about Danny and what a great player he is. Let me talk about how, what, what a fine upstanding person this is and the character that he has and how beat up he's going to be about this. He didn't take a second to talk about Danny. That's the only thing I would
1: criticize. Well, it's interesting because the media immediately transitions to, okay, how's Danny doing? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Which Ted doesn't really have an answer. He says he hasn't spoken with him yet, which was weird. Uh, but well, Not when we find out where he is. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wonder whether Ted's just lying there. He's just like, N-n-n-n-n. no one needs to know about that right now. Uh, but that he hopes he's not being too hard on himself. Quick cut to the showers, where Danny is mumbling and praying while fully clothed with water, with the freshly restored plumbing, spraying right on his face. Hmm apparently trying to desperately wash the death off himself. Everybody's just kind of staring off the distance and wondering what the hell to do about this. Ted walks up to try to make a joke to help and offer halfway sarcastic suggestions to maybe lighten the mood. But Danny so, is so disturbed that all he can do is just vaguely acknowledge it and then even deny that football is life anymore. I didn't think that this kind of reaction was possible out of Danny Ross, but then again, I didn't think the show would kill a dog to see whether we could reach this emotional point. Don't forget, football's life, right? I know it used to be. Oh, our golden retriever has gotten depressed, and the world is depressed with him. Uh, the t- Ted tells the team to give Danny some space and suggests that they all bathe at home however they would prefer, because apparently they all have their very distinct opinions on that subject. And reassures the team that they're playing well and will win soon and calls them all his goldfish. Which is a I delightful little callback, which I like that the team is immediately all on the same page on. This is a standard phrase now. It's probably even a reassuring term for them. And only the only new player that's a little bit confused is John Muss, our new player from the Netherlands. Who we don't get much out of this episode other than an indictment on the apparently, you know, social skills of the Dutch. Which I didn't know that was a stereotype, but apparently is.
0: Yeah, he apparently tells one of the guys, I didn't make any mistakes, only you played poorly. Ooh, It was, uh, was Colin. Poor Colin. Sam jumps in. Jan Maas is not being rude. He's just Dutch. So here's a quick jag. I th- always thought this show was for an American audience. Uh, yeah. All of the jokes about America. I mean, there's very like American-centric humor. This, I felt like, was one of the first jokes I felt like was written for a European audience. Because I don't think that like Dutch people being like socially inept... Like is going to resonate from somebody in Tennessee. Like (laughs) I'm not sure that's going to land.
1: Well, It's one of those jokes I actually even went to go check up afterwards because it just took me so out of it. It's like, okay, I have no frame of reference to know whether that's funny or not. Uh, And then I saw some European watchers of the show that were just dying in the aisles over that joke, like it was the most hilarious thing ever. So like you said, that one wasn't aimed at us. I didn't really appreciate it. It came across a little bit forced, but apparently for its target audience, it was catnip.
0: Yeah, they're trying to expand the base.
1: Fine enough, fine. Well, it's a show about football. You think you think, you think it's kind of noble? You're to bring in some other football for the sake of this reference and this joke. It is football. We can go back to soccer for the rest of the humor. Uh As uh, um, back in the coach's office, Ted receives a text from Michelle, which you noted <laughs> they would be talking. It's still not the communication that you said they'd be having, but they're maintaining contact.
0: Yeah. So uh, I, I have, if you didn't listen to our coverage of season one, I predicted that Michelle would come, come back a running to old Ted. I I, I thought she would eventually uh, really uh, regret leaving Ted and that she would show back up and want, want to get back together with him. This is not that he still is in communication with her. I'm laughing though, because shout out to Ted's kid for uh, he, Apple doesn't fall <laughs> oh, far from the tree. He, he sends him a picture with a bunch of ties around his neck. <laughs> Shout out! It's
1: hilarious. They're clearly still maintaining contact over the su- over the subject that they have a shared child still, and yeah, the the, the son's picture with like four or five ties around his neck, maybe be maybe even be eight at this point. I didn't count. It's hilarious. One thing to note: how long is the production delay between these shows? Because that kid looks like three years older than the last time we saw him.
0: It's tough. Anytime you, I think anytime you get a kid in the eight to nine range, um, you know, they two, two years can look fast. like five. I mean, look at like. Isaac Hempstead right, right from Oh, that um, was rough. From Game of Thrones. I mean, he just became a tall he became one big Adam's apple real quick.
1: Mm hmm. Uh, it's you know, it's a funny joke. Ted blames himself really for violating his philosophy with the Karma police coming at coming down on him for, like you notedly, all kudos, completely reversing his stance on ties near the end of the Man City game. He feels that the harpies are now picking at him for his hubris. Fair enough. Mate tries to reassure him that the team is actually playing well. It's just a bit of bad luck. Ted just dismisses that as a UK euphemism and basically compares his team to the New York Jets. Dear God, Ted, come on, man. Back home, if the team's poor
0: playing poorly, we don't call them unlucky, do we, Coach? What do we call them, New York Jets? hey Somewhere Vinnie Testaverde is not happy at that joke. He's just, some. I just like to think that Vinny Testaverde is 55 years old sitting there with his, his grandchildren watching this show like, yeah, hey, come on.
1: <laughs> uh, the new Kitman Will, interrupts and asks to leave early. Nate does not respond well to this, which is going to be a recurring theme about we're getting to see a bit of Nate's coaching style and it is not on the same page as Ted and Beard. So I've got I've got a, a number of questions for you in my notes this is the first one
0: it seemed to me like you really liked the Nate character in season one I did. Um, you were a big fan
1: still do still do
0: what do you think about this like evil Nate like he just busting everybody's balls now that he's got a, a little bit of seniority like how does that land with you is it funny think, or it kind of
1: ugh. I think it's a character arc rather than funny I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it's funny because I don't look for like abusive humor but I think it's in some ways in keeping with some of the things we saw about Nate asserting himself in season one. And some of the main ways he asserted himself was through sarcastic or directed abuse at other players. It's the first moment that he asserted himself on, on the on the like, in a, a team stage.
0: The roast. Fry, they got Friars Club in there.
1: He's also a guy that was frequently you know bullied, possibly for years even before maybe he was on this team. And there can be a tendency there once they're in a position of power to, in some ways, bring that to bear on other people. A very unfortunately cyclical thing. It's almost this negative is-
0: reinforcement, right? Where they, they've seen Absolutely. the people be successful, bully them, so then they think they have to bully other people. Yeah, okay. so I- Maybe it is a character arc. I thought they were going for comedy, and I didn't really love it. What I loved about the, K- the Nate character is when he would like... Um, like when Ted would like look at him and he would just run away petrified or like, remember, remember when he was in Rebecca's office and he just went, deer in the headlights. Yeah. That always made me laugh more.
1: Yeah. This, if this is comedy, I think it's meant to have like an element of comedy just as kind of like the whiplash effect of, we just heard that out of Nate. But if it's meant for anything more than that, I don't think it lands perfectly well. But personally for me, I think it's a character arc. Um, the Kit man is said is looking to take the day off to to leave early today because it's his mom's 50th birthday. Nate brings up key issues like, it's your job to stay until the players leave, and is your 50-year-old mom on the team, to mm. which you can see Ted over his shoulder going, what the hell are we getting out of date right now? Yep. He quickly interrupts to say that Will can leave, and all the, co- all the coaches kind of look in on Nate like, what? As he just tries to justify this, is that you have to be hard on him, because pressure makes pearls, which, valiant effort on that expression, Nate, you tried.
0: I know that when you're doing a podcast, repeating jokes doesn't always... I, I, I sympathize with our audience when I, when I go in to try to repeat jokes. I can't recapture what this did to me. I can just tell you that I fell over laughing when he went... When this one happened? Pre- he, when he said, pressure makes pearls, right? And then Ted oh, went... Wait.
1: Mm. Mm. That oh, wait. Mm oh.
0: That mmm from Ted just had me rolling. And then you know, then you have that like crumbling of the facade of Nate. Like, oh, crap, it's diamonds. I missed that up, didn't I? You're
1: such I thought that
0: whole exchange was great.
1: It was funny. I have to ask something. You both of us manage other employees. If an employee at the eleventh hour came to you and said, I've gotta take off the day to basically not handle the responsibilities that I'm contractually required to do this day without any prior notice, you might still give it to them, particularly the first time, but I don't think I don't think it would be a little unfair to be annoyed that he didn't provide any prior notice that it was his mom's fiftieth birthday. I think
0: we have different cultures that we work in uh, for sure. And, and then we've talked about this before because like it, 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 the culture that I work in, like if you just say, Hey, you know, I'm knocking off a couple hours early to do something it, that would not be a problem at all. Mm. I would not have any concern. And if someone did that once every two weeks, I still wouldn't have a concern um, just because it's the nature of the, of how we work. It's, we're not super strict about the hours. So it, I think it's a different culture and maybe, Perfect. maybe in that culture, like, the kit man thing of like actually cleaning up the locker room when you're done is that important? I, I honestly don't know, but it does seem like Nate's the only one who thinks it's that important because well, everyone like, else is sort of blown away by his reaction.
1: Yeah, it's the it's like it's, it's the guy that's promoted to the ranks. He's always going to view his job that he came from as the most important thing on the damn team because that's what he endured and survived. So he's come he' bringing a little bit of that to bear. Uh, meanwhile. Rebecca Higgins and Keely are in Rebecca's office, sharing drinks. Seeing Rebecca make Higgins a drink right there to start the scene off warmed my heart. They're friends again. Question Great for to you. See it.
0: Question for you. How'd Rebecca yes. look?
1: <sighs> she looked good, man. I was happy to see her. Thank you for referencing that again. Look,
0: I don't. I have a crush on Keely. Like I, I'm out. There I know you tell. do. <laughs> but you've you've made it very clear that you uh, you think that the actress who plays Rebecca is is not not bad on the eyes. I thought that, like, I, I was like, whoa, like, someone got, like, a new costume designer or something. I don't know. Like, hey, she she really, this actress really looked good in that scene, I thought. I mean, it was, yeah. she popped off the screen.
1: I, I do agree. Thank you for saying it instead of me. I've got a reputation. Um, as I said, they're sharing drinks. Apparently, Higgins notes that the team just received a massive amount of Thai food from Brentford FC. Oh, which,
0: I get it now. <laughs>
1: Everybody is backing for the ties. In case you don't know, Brentford FC, another real championship team, yep. notably not in the Championship League anymore though. They just got promoted to the Premier League at the end of this last season. So kudos to them. I'll be curious to see whether that they're keeping with history when it comes to the events that they depict. Will Richmond lose because they just referenced the actual winning team? Probably not. But we'll and,
0: see. and spoiler alert, all the all the listeners out there, Spencer is hoping they lose. He does not like a storybook ending.
1: There's an element of that, yes. We'll actually see where this goes. Uh, Ted walks in, and they greet him like he's Norm from Cheers. Everyone Ted! just yells out, Ted, at the same time. It's funny. They are from a cocktail, which he happily accepts as if it was Diane Sawyer. Wait a second hey, on this. I, I know I'm stopping you a lot, but this, is, this one blew
0: me and my wife back. Go on. Uh, Rebecca, Rebecca says, Ted, what would you say to a cocktail? Same thing I'd say to Diane Sawyer. She ever asked me on a date. Yes, please. All right. So that is strange, right? That's really? a weird one. Di- well, Diane Sawyer, you are you walking around thinking Diane no, Sawyer I, is your I'm not.
1: It feels in keeping for Ted, though.
0: It's very weird. So I did a little look into this. Uh, Jason Sudeikis is 45 years old. I don't think he's meant to play younger or older than he really is. I think Ted about 45 makes sense to sure, me. Sure, yeah. Diane Sawyer is 75 years old. So it's a strange thing to say. But I was when thinking... When he was growing up. Exactly. That's what I <laughs> yes. was thinking. When he was like between 10 and 20 there was probably three he he grew up in that pre-netflix era probably in in rural kentucky where he was i bet he only had like three channels so 60 minutes watching diane sawyer was probably a big deal on sunday night so that's where that's that's the deep dive i went into (laughs) that joke
1: it's the same category where where my parents are always going to think that jane Fonda is the most gorgeous woman on the planet no matter how old she is because that's the age they were growing up in to think that that particular person that particular time is always hot Jane's, Jane Fonda still kind of is, though. Jane Fonda for age is still looking great. Kudos yeah. to her. Shout out Grace and Frankie. Great show. Yeah, I was actually curious whether you are watching that. It is a solid show. It's enjoyable. Very good. Uh, sorry, I lost my place briefly. Uh, Ted's feeling really sorry for himself, but reassures them that Danny, like an expensive tape measure, will snap back. <laughs> Don't think he has any frame of reference to say that, but Ted, ever the optimist. <laughs> Earl's owner apparently is also doing all right, perhaps helped by the fact that Rebecca gave a very generous donation to Barkingham Palace. Lee, good name or bad name? It's a good name. It's a solid name. Barkingham
0: Palace is good. And I also like that as tough as Ted is doing, you know, he's dealing with these ties, he's uh, getting mocked for it, he's worried about Danny, he still has to, student of comedy that Ted is, still has to stop and go, yeah, it's a good name. Yeah, checks out.
1: Yeah, Yeah, well done. Uh, they offer a toast to Earl, and Higgins leaves because his sons are watching *Empire Strikes Back* tonight, and apparently, it's his job to explain the incestuous snogging.
0: What? I, I, what I, was this, Higgins? What was this shot at the greatest movie of all time, *Empire Strikes Back*? Where did this I, I, come from? People,
1: I feel like people also really oversell the like Luke Leia kiss. There, it's like they weren't making out no. while he had his hand cut off, and he's laying in an infirmary bed. He was halfway conscious. She gives him a reassuring kiss scene
0: end she gave him a a cuck kiss if ever there was one she was looking at hand the whole time Uh, there was no romance involved in that at all come on i didn't like that pot shot at empire strikes back i thought it was very strange
1: it is a common trope in the fan base that it was much more than it actually was and i think they're playing off that it does set up a hilarious line between the two of them though for Ted and Higgins combine Jedi and Catholic sayings to say, May the Force be with you and also with you. That is pray. Ted appearing to even do the sign of the cross after they say this as Higgins leaves. Question for
0: you. I got a little Please. quiz. Got a little quiz for you. Oh God. Um do you know if May the Force be with you and also with you ever appeared in any Star Wars
1: show, movie, media, anything? Did has this exchange ever occurred? I, I, I had assumed, it sounded vaguely familiar. It, I had assumed that I had heard it once before somewhere in Star Wars media, but I could not place it.
0: It occurred in The Mandalorian for the very first time. Really? Yep. It was in the episode where Jinjarin is transporting Frog Lady and two um, New Republic X-Wing pilots pull up. Ah. And they, uh, as, they're, as they're leaving, they say, the force be with you. And he just very awkwardly
1: says, also with you. Not not to just Republic Pilots. Mr. Kim shows up to help save the day, and then they leave.
0: And if you like The Mandalorian, you can check out our coverage of The
1: Mandalorian on Mangum Talks TV. Indeed. Uh, a text interrupts, and Rebe- Keely and Rebecca go on to full squeeing girl talk mode over a certain gentleman suitor that Rebecca has gone out with a few times. Now, Lee, I'm here for you. I know your first major shipping disappointment can be rough. Did you soldier through this well to hear that Rebecca is dating people other than Ted?
0: Uh, no, actually, this is reaffirming to me that she would end up with Ted because of how this <laughs> how this plot line gotcha. goes. Yeah, I felt like this. I felt like they were shipping this. Hey, was I'm, up.
1: A- I'm asking you at this moment. Where it ends up, sure, it can be reassuring in any way you wish it to be. But at this given moment, they seem very excited about this. Yeah, I, w- I was a little perturbed
0: by it. I am rooting for Rebecca Ted, very much
1: uh, so. I also felt bad, bad for Ted here because he very quickly becomes a third wheel as uh, uh, Rebecca and Keeley immediately plot a double date right there with Ted still in the room. Uh, Ted asks, you know, trying to direct the conversation back to something that he can vaguely participate in, asks whether uh, Roy is interested in still coming to the games, because apparently he hasn't really been attending, I guess, since he left the team, and tells Keeley that there always will be an open uh, will-call ticket available for him, though, of course, under various fake names. And apparently Ted decided to make these all-off various female country country music stars Appearing to progress throughout time, given that we go with Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton, and Shania Twain. I'm guessing maybe Carrie Underwood would be next if he still doesn't attend.
0: Question for you. On those three, who's your favorite?
1: Put them in order. Favorite or best? Your favorite. Uh, Favorite probably still would actually be Dolly Parton. Good God, does she have a massive, wonderful collection of songs. Uh, I didn't know
0: where you were going with that sentence.
1: Also fair. Go on. (laughs) All right. Uh, uh, Dolly Parton, Loretta Lynn, Shania Twain. I love Shania Twain, but just in terms of the iconic value of the songs, I think the other two have much more staying
0: power. I think that's the only answer. Completely agree.
1: Yeah, um, I also would like Carrie. I also like Carrie Underwood more than Shania Twain now, but separate separate question. Uh, Keely brushes off um, that you know, hey, Roy. He's just really busy. He's got this new coaching gig, and we immediately flash cut to that new coaching gig where we see Roy. Chewing out the players, ripping into them, using all of the fruity language that Roy is always delighted in using in the past, as the camera then spins around to reveal that he is indeed coaching football for under nine-year-old girls, including his niece, Phoebe. Least surprising reveal of the episode. No. Th- th- Saw th- th- that they're... one
0: coming two miles away.
1: Yeah, just I mean, the mere fact that he's looking down while the camera's focusing on him should have given you at least a vague hint, but yeah, this yeah. was this, this was not a surprise. What I love, and this is very much in keeping with everything we've seen of Roy with kids before, that though he is using entirely age appropriate language, the kids are eating it up. They love him. These kids are ready to die for him based on the tone and tenor of the conversation they're having with him. They are with military levels of inspiration and efficiency with him throwing out this speech at them. And as I said, that's very much in keeping of everything we've ever seen about Roy with kids before. He is great with kids, even though he meets no appropriate standards for coarseness.
0: And this is a very popular thing for ex-athletes to do. I mean, LeBron oh, yeah. famously has coached his kid's team. You have Brett Favre coaching high school football down in Mississippi. You got Rashid Wallace up in uh, New York coaching high school mm-hmm. f- basketball. So it's a very common thing. One line that I really enjoyed is when he when they broke, he said uh, he sends them all for orange slices and says,
1: "Don't eat the peels, you animals." <laughs> <laughs> hey, depending on the age, that may be necessary advice. Very funny. Uh, Keely arrives, and while she's approaching and talking with Phoebe, the teacher, I'm guessing, Mrs. Walton or something like that, I didn't write down her name, comes over and politely and kind of lightly meant calls out Roy in his language, as if there's a pretty hard rule on the subject, but nobody's going to fault Roy too much for it. The kids love him. Can't call them
0: little pricks, even if they're being little pricks.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Phoebe and Roy accept Keely's offer of hot chocolate, and they head off, and uh, while they're enjoying it on a park bench... Keely broaches the idea of this double date that she discussed with Rebecca. Let's, you know, let's get together so she can be comfortable and she can interdose us to our new beau. Fucking so him- hell. Roy's not happy with this. Notably, Phoebe, on the other hand, is overjoyed to see Roy's particular choice of language. And why is that, Lee? Because
0: she owes him a quid. Put it on the tab, he
1: says. He, owe- he owes her a quid.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And- he owes her a quid. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He cost- and- He owes her a quid. It's basically the swear jar.
1: It is the swear jar, but unlike usually, uh, Phoebe's taking very diligent records throughout this. She's a proper accountant when, she, when it comes to keeping track of this tally. Uh, Keely, uh, we also, Keely asked Phoebe about how the game went, and Phoebe apparently is taking some very, maybe too direct inspiration from Roy because she reveals that her favorite thing about the game was that she got a red card for smashing a rival player in the neck, which Roy immediately congratulates her about. There may be some negative aspects to too much Roy influence in her life, though clearly it's making her happy.
0: I don't know. Keeley, in, inf- soccer enforcer.
1: That'll, that'll carry her a long way. No, this isn't hockey. Red cards actually have some serious consequences. Uh, Keely suggests that Roy expand his social circle a little bit beyond Roy uh, Yoga Moms, but Roy claims that he is perfectly happy with the current with the current arrangements. We will debate at the end of the episode to what degree that is true or not. Okay. Uh He also quickly rejects, apparently not for the first time, Keely's suggestion that, you know what, you've been getting offers from these various news networks to be a, I would call it commentator, but apparently in the UK they call it a football pundit. Roy is not interested in this idea.
0: And this is for Uh,
1: Sky Sports, which is a real network. It is. Uh, he's not interested about this idea in fact he poo-pooes it directly based on the fact the last time he trusted her with res- was, 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 was with respect to his retirement conference which apparently both Keeley and the world and Roy have remarkably different views about I have uh, the world can we,
0: can we ask the, can I ask you the question now please so what do you so um i mean yeah you you were talking about i think i cut you off mid-explanation because i'm excited to get to this question so basically everybody kind of has a different take on this roy thought it was a complete disaster keely liked it we find out somebody else liked it uh rebecca's mm-hmm. guy what do you think happened at this press conference they're kind of dancing around it but they never explain exactly what happened
1: okay okay my idea is that main thing people are focusing on is Roy's retirement speech. That's what we have, will, I think it is later, really focus on. That's probably the reason 15 million people showed up. Roy, from what we saw back in season one, hates to be the center of attention. He hates to be on stage. He hates to have everybody gawk at him as if he's, you know, a chunk of lamb to be chewed on. Or somebody that's up, up for auction, like we saw. He hated the fact when people were having a bidding war over the subject of him. So the fact that Keely arranged for him to be the focal point of attention to offer honest-to-God emotions about how he feels about the situation to the world is the just utter arsenic to this guy. It is his kryptonite. I I imagine that he actually spoke honestly and earnestly from the heart in a way the world just eats up whenever an athlete does it. And from Roy, the fact that he was that vulnerable in front of everybody else is something that he can just never forget or ever feel comfortable about.
0: Yeah, we agree. I think he, I think he kind of started it, and probably lost himself a little bit. He might even cried, and now he's pissed off about it. And everybody else is like, "That was a bastard stroke."
1: Will we see it before the end of the season, or will it just be referenced?
0: I really hope we get
1: like a really like a YouTube video because Keeley
0: says it got 15 million views. Let me tell
1: you something. Uh- Champions League
0: is not getting 15 million views, so he went viral outside of the fans of that particular league.
1: Do you think the Aussie fan will come back just to grab Roy around the shoulder and show it, show it, show it to him on his phone? I
0: hope so. It'd be nice if they. I mean, look, and I actually think the show is capable of it because they they are nothing if not consistent with their jokes. There oh, are yeah. so many consistent jokes in this episode.
1: I, absolutely, 100 percent agree. Uh, Roy goes into his usual rapid-fire exploration of all practical uses of swear words in a given sentence to describe why being a pundit would be the worst job ever for him. Describing as basically just sitting on the on, on the fucking telly in some dumb fucking suit like a know-it-all twat and also as a shit job for shit people that, and he'd rather shit out of his own fucking mouth than do that fucking shit. Score that cursed series, man. I want to hear your score. <laughs> uh so first i will score it but first uh, i was doing
0: my notes and my wife was in the background listening Uh, poor her because i was having to pause every like 30 seconds to write it It had to be miserable we got to this i said i bet you spencer writes this quote down you don't write all the quotes down i bet you you write that down i I I count on you
1: for most of them but some i just can't take the risk i I just
0: knew you were gonna write that one down Uh, i score that as an a plus 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 i when he lands on i'd rather shit out of my own fucking mouth (laughs) I just was like, "This is this is Pete Roy." And by the way, proving the point, uh, that's a fascinating thing to say. Uh, he's a fascinating character, and he would be a remarkable sports commentator. He would be great. I mean, would he get suspended? Yeah, he'd get suspended from the network a
1: lot. But he would be great in the booth. Why do you think he's so opposed to it? Cause he, I have my own personal impression on the subject. I'm curious of yours.
0: I think it's my, my guess on the character is it's twofold. One is that the people who normally do it he don't he doesn't like like he th- he he normally doesn't respect the people who do it, and he's probably not respected them for a long time because they've been criticizing him and, and shit. And and two, I think there is a concern that he would he would need to put himself out there, uh, and mm-hmm. he does not like putting himself out there. So uh, I think it's kind of twofold.
1: Yeah, I think a. Key- This show loves to do, like, a common theme for all characters to go through, and some common themes that are being explored in this episode are concepts of jealousy, what you deserve, and what your role is. And from Roy's perspective, I don't think he could tolerate being on the opposite side of that fence. Having to look down over the game and see the game that he so greatly adores, just from the perspective of a, you know, average citizen in the stands... I don't think that's a world that he can really deal with. I think he's purposely distancing himself from the pain of being pulled away from the sport he most so adores,
0: which is consistent with why Loretta Lynn didn't go to the AFC Richmond game. Absolutely. Uh,
1: the only I think the only I think another person that's very much fond of Roy's speech here is Phoebe. Because while it's going down, she, like the quality accountant that she is, is making notes, making notes, making marks. And by the end of the conversation, as directed by Keeley, reveals that Roy now owes her twelve hundred and thirty-six pounds. This kid's starting a college fund at age eight. Remember that number. Good call. Let's remember that number. We get probably my least favorite scene of the episode here. Yeah, me too. Danny Rojas's dream. Terrible. It is a dream of where he's repeating the penalty kick experience from the other day, this time with a cartoon dog goalkeeper. And I mean cartoon to the point that it even holds up a Wiley Coyote board sign right before it gets hit explosively in the face with the ball.
0: Couldn't you have gotten the same thing out of this scene by smash cut to Danny getting up, leaning up in bed and going, football is death! Like clearly waking been... up from a dream? Could You didn't
1: need the dream sequence, did you? I think it would have been even more effective if they just did that. I didn't need the dream explanation. I didn't need to know that Danny dreams in cartoon format. It was just silly. Agreed. It completely took me out of the episode. And it really took me out of, Danny's going through trauma here. This shouldn't be played for laughs like this. But they're choosing to over this.
0: Yeah, they're, they're playing up the, the dog murder as like, I shouldn't call it murder. Dog death is, is something funnier than it is.
1: <laughs> dog unintentional manslaughter. Uh. Danny in a panic is said wakes up and just screams that football is death but as the camera zooms back we also see that Danny is in bed with two beautiful women who seem really oddly undisturbed by the fact of him waking up with sleep terrors. I don't even think they rouse to any degree
0: I'm just saying two women in bed with a soccer star uh, they it might, might be might not be a natural sleep is all I'm saying
1: you know that may be a good call. Topic for discussion later. Uh, Ted arrives for Biscuits with the Boss, Woo. only to have his presence seemingly directly, physically, visibly disappoint Rebecca. To the point that Ted even says that he hasn't disappointed anyone so much until the last time that he wore a red cap to a planned parenthood fundraiser. hey <laughs> uh, Apparently she was looking more for girl talk with Keely than Ted, but Ted offers to sub in. Uh, she reveals that her new beau, is name is John... Stamos! L- Wings night, not Buffalo Wings night either. Cutting you off of the pass there. Uh, Ted suppresses himself a bit to listen, and she reveals that he's handsome, successful, not shy, which is the most repeated comment they offer about this guy.
0: That You know what that means?
1: He won't, shares too much? Won't, won't shut the hell up. Yeah, that's what yeah. that means. Uh, and that he's nice to her. Ted then asks the obvious question, is there a problem then? Well, she well, kind of comes to the conclusion, well, sorry,
0: Yeah, well, I just wanted to point out that Ted – I thought this was actually really important. Ted's just sitting there listening with his sort of, you know, hand on his chin like girl Mm -hmm. talk. He asked one question about this guy. Is he nice to you?
1: Most important All Ted wants
0: to know. I thought that was – like as silly as this scene is and as silly as the whole Rebecca with another guy not named Ted is, Mm -hmm. the fact that he – the one question is, is he nice to you? I mean, we're circling back to that sort of like there is like heartwarming – stuff about this show right
1: absolutely i love that ted he requires some lessons on what the rules of girl talk are like point number one listen primarily listen and point number two blabbing and not solving is perfectly okay and even the intent
0: even though it's girl talk sometimes it's girl listen
1: (laughs) he needs a little bit of a primer on these but once he gets that he's really good at girl talk because ted's a naturally supportive and caring person who asks the important questions so point rebecca has that kind of like moment of realization about Oh, we didn't really frame it in that light. Yeah, he has a good debate. There's no there's no problems with him whatsoever. And so they continue with girl talk, and they both seem to really enjoy it, including with uh, Ted helping her pick a nail polish color, apparently. The situation on the pitch, though, is not as good, because uh, Danny can't shoot for shit right now. Matter of fact, he falls over at the sheer effort of trying to shoot the ball as it just flies over the goal and strikes a car in the parking lot. Jan has his usual abjectly rude comments about it's interesting to watch a guy's career end here in front of you to the point that even Sam basically tells him to shut up.
0: Not now, Jan. Yeah.
1: Uh, Ted tries to bump up Danny by reminding him that it wasn't his fault and reference, makes one of what's going to be several references in this episode to the film Magnolia uh, and Tom Cruise's hairstyle choices across his films. And tries to get Danny's mind off penalty kicks by inviting him to do a corner kick. As we see Midnight Poutine, my favorite play, my favorite trick play referenced last season, finally in the flesh. Yep. Kinda. Uh, Ted sets him up, the teams get in position, and then Ted bends over like three feet away from him at an off angle, making it really obvious what's about to happen. As Danny proceeds to kick the ball right into Ted's keister. Almost knocking him off his feet. Danny's clearly horrified once again. His trauma's been increased once more. And they walk back to the coach's room thoroughly uncertain and confused as to what they should do about the Danny situation. The tall diamond dogs are in session, but they're still stumped about what Uh-oh. they need to do about this. Thank you. Nate suggests that they give him motivation by showing him his goddamn paycheck. God damn it, Nate. Whoa! Again! Fire! He-
0: Holy shit!
1: Uh, Well, maybe if
0: Donnie needs motivation, we can show him his goddamn paycheck. uh,
1: And he says this with, like, uh, no no element of a joke. No element of sarcasm attached to this. It's just like, he is stone-cold serious like now. Tough love is the only way to live. To the point that Ted actually even says, that's a tad aggressive. Putting it mildly, Ted. But he doesn't try to dismiss Nate too much. He, th- he thinks that you shouldn't bring an umbrella to a brainstorm, which <laughs> I'm going to be using that one. That's lovely.
0: Yeah, this is a this is an Uncle Lee lesson to the kids out there. Uh, anytime you're in a, a organization that goes, let's do a brainstorm and somebody throws out a bad idea, say, look, I'm not going to bring an umbrella to a brainstorm, but
1: and then you can criticize it. So there you go. Yeah, don't don't put the kibosh in people raising ideas. Bad ideas happen. We want a free room to speak. Or Higgins, use
0: that phrase in order to actually criticize them.
1: Either one. In the Southern politeness kind of way that immediately immediately nullifies it a bit. Uh, Higgins works as he always does to define the issue. What is the problem we're trying to address here? But Beard, already on, already on point. He knows what's happening. And, um, forgive me coaches everywhere, Beard reveals on a whiteboard that the problem is... The yips. <laughs> I love... I know, I know what the yips are. I did not realize they were the same thing in the sports world as apparently saying Macbeth is in the theater world. If Is that actually the case? Do you know? Where just even saying yes. The obviously-
0: you need to stop saying it. You, I'm not- you, if you keep saying it, we're just going to stutter and we're going to start messing up intros and outros and all of a sudden this podcast is going to go to shit, my friend.
1: I assure you, I don't need the yips to fuck up on this podcast. I can do that without any outside influence whatsoever. That's like saying Voldemort Hogwarts. Yeah, he offers the examples of it's like saying Macbeth in the theater Voldemort at Hogwarts or soccer in Europe Nate and Higgins really struggle with understanding the superstition or any of the examples that Ted offers to try to explain it to them apparently Charles Barkley does not have much name recognition on the other side of the pond which is really disappointing or Chuck Narblock the one first Uh, Charles Barkley and his golf swing is just the ultimate definition of the yips
0: yeah but like first off that well I, I don't know why I appreciate you keep saying the word Second,
1: Mm -hmm. uh, Barkley's fixed his golf swing? Have you seen this? He has. Yeah. It's, it's an old trope. It's an old code, but it still checks it. I know, but like, this is like a very recently
0: done show. Like he, Bar- Barkley was recently on the like the um, TNT's the match where he actually played like with celebrities and stuff, and I he was won. Really happy to
1: see it. I he was really wa- happy
0: to see it. He won. He like by himself like parred holes. Barkley's well, it, golf swing has been fixed.
1: Well, it was so obviously mental. It was just so obviously a mental block that he'd gotten into about. He had a problem with it, and it just came doubling down. So I'm, I am legitimately glad he's worked through it. Though it is a commonly understood joke and example of the the word. I'll say Macbeth from here if it makes you happy. That's terrible. Uh it's to put it to put it, to put it mildly, it's essentially the idea that an athlete for no apparent reason can suddenly can't do the basic fundamentals of their sport. Higgins, responsible man that he is, immediately brings up the idea of have we considered therapy? I mean, there's a sports psychologist who's done a lot of good work for other teams. Is this something that we should consider. Immediately Nate and Beard are like, yeah, can't hurt, let's try it. Ted, on the other hand. When asked about the concept of therapy, expresses his general apprehension and modest Midwestern skepticism. Same page, Ted. I understand where you're coming from. The rest of the Diamond Dogs countersign the idea, but Ted clearly struggles. Even saying yes, while his body physically rejects the idea. Still shaking his head no, even as he's saying yes.
0: Yeah, so this is a visual representation of a thing that really is out there, right? For a lot of mm-hmm. lot of people, they hear the word therapy, they like, I eh, can't do it, I eh, can't do it. Uncle leads the kids out there. Don't be Ted. Go to therapy. It's good for everybody.
1: Well, this is a fun thing we're going to argue about later, because I'm actually directly in Ted's camp, even though I realize it's not a legitimate point of view to have. But we'll get there. You're going to argue a not a legitimate point to have. I, I'm an, I, I don't I'm know an an argu- how to prep for that argument. I'm going to argue <laughs> the feeling while acknowledging that it's largely irrational. Okay. <laughs> that, that make more sense? <laughs> I'm going to argue with myself, and you're going to sit there, David. It, it
0: sounds like you're arguing with yourself.
1: <laughs> how I live my life. Attorneys in their off time uh at the double date uh john wings knight is appa- is telling a story about apparently a near violent argument between him and martin Short at a Broadway meet and greet over a martin short's lost wallet that is sounds about as dull as the story comes across to be
0: yeah which
1: I think more than anything is probably just he doesn't come across as a very good storyteller. You could make that story interesting, but he just does not sell it. He also Also seems
0: intent on telling stories all the time. I think that's part of
1: the problem. And it's also like, he's clearly the least, you know, worldly cool person in this group of people in terms of the stories that they can share. And yet he's determining to dominate the story discussions by always offering his own.
0: Spencer co-opting the Uncle Lee segment. That's
1: right, kids. A little self-awareness goes a long way in in, in polite company. It does. We're going to assess this guy later, but at no point do we have any reason to believe he's a bad guy. He comes across as a nice guy. Fine. He's not the most self-aware, and he's kind of boring. Fine. It's the big biggest sense that you can assign to him. Both he and his stories are framed as being pretty dull. Everyone's just trying to be somewhat polite about it. And John instead turns the conversation over to Roy in football. He's there. But he's there. He's every fucking where. Roy can. Roy our, can. Our favorite sing-along right there. Uh... He reveals pretty quickly, though, that I think it's fair to say he's nothing more than a casual fan. What does he say? Is that like, you know, oh, yeah, I watch Man City or United. And uh, yeah, whoever's really winning, really so much fun. He, which
0: unbelievable. Well, I bounce back and forth between United and City, whichever club is winning. Typically, I love it. Roy sounds like it.
1: (laughs) Utter contempt. Utter contempt. This is one of several lines of where Roy is just upping his drinking as this is going on. He needs a certain amount of a load to be able to get through this night in conversation, and he has nowhere near enough right now. Uh, he kind of pushes Roy but you must be really torn up over the fact you're retired. Roy says, nope, not unhappy at all, loving coaching my niece's team. I've got a theory. Best thing ever. I've got a mm-hmm. theory.
0: I don't know if you, you caught the cutaway to Keeley. I think this is when this guy loses Keeley. When he pushes Roy on, well, don't you miss it so much? If, you, if you'd see the cutaway to Keeley, she did not appreciate the question at all.
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure whether she was flinching to like from the unfairness of the question or flinching just to how she anticipated Roy would react, but clearly she doesn't think it's a good topic to go into. Uh, she still lies later, basically, about what her views are, but we'll go into that too. Or at least politely covers up. Uh, Roy says just continue his drinking nonstop throughout all this and is clearly annoyed by the questions and particularly gets annoyed when Keeley views this as a wonderful opportunity to bring up the fact that he's been getting pundit job offers. He looks daggers at her when she says this. It's a really, I'm glad Keeley apologizes for this at the end of the episode because this was out of character that she would do this on the fly to other people and clearly Roy would take offense to
0: that. I'm not sure it's out of character. Keeley does make missteps. Uh, it would be out of character Fair. if she didn't acknowledge it. So I, 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 I agree I'm, with you yeah. she shouldn't have done it, but she kind of does this stuff from time to time.
1: That's fair. That's, a, that's an excellent way of putting that. Um, John continues on. Everybody agrees that it's a wonderful idea, that he should absolutely be a pundit, including Keeley at the end, to which Roy clearly it's just adding to his anger and, uh, anger and not appreciation of this right now. And so just to double down, John then immediately continues by going to Roy's retirement speech. No self-awareness at all in this man, Because apparently it was the first thing that his dad forwarded to him that wasn't immigration-related in the last five years, which apparently meant a lot to John. Not, not a Boris fan, that job. Uh-huh. It. He then offers this weirdly kind of strange line of where he says, it must have been super weird though afterwards, right? Which is just left to hang there, unexplained, only that we see Roy, in response to that, grab the waiter by the belt, yank him over and say, make that two drinks now.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you, from my eagle eye, it appeared he was drinking doubles to begin with because he had that little doubles liquor glass. It's like a like a four ounce glass that they usually serve straight liquor in. So if he got two of those, Roy's getting
1: hammered, which is interesting because Roy really didn't drink heavily last season. No, He very mildly even drank barely even socially drank. Here, Remember the karaoke night? He was like one of the only people not trash. Absolutely. It is apparent that throughout this episode, the man is drinking a lot a hell of a lot to get through the day and it only gets worse by the time the episode is over bet that one's going to be a bit of a character subject over the course of this season does it get worse uh double doubling down on rosé is the last thing we see of him i wouldn't say it's necessarily worse but the fact that it happens and the fact it's clearly his means of coping with things he doesn't like is out of character from what we've seen of roy in the past Uh,
0: i hope you're right i hope that they show that that is like not a good way to handle it I fear they're going to do what all other mainstream mainstream media, look at me, Uh, mainstream entertainment does, and they just sort of make a joke about heavy drinking. I bet you that's what they
1: do. Given that they made a joke at the start of the season about a dog dying, I don't know what they're going to do before this season's done. But this is the kind of show that could land that one well. From what we saw in season one, from what they're willing to address of emotional issues and important issues, I think they could pull it off. I'll be curious to see. Uh we're back in the pub uh, with, as you said, the seemingly significantly older May, wonderful actress, not offering any criticism, she looks a lot older in this scene for some reason, uh, discussing Earl and Nigel and their respective uh, incontinence over the years when they came to the pub. Ted turns to Beard and asks, in delightful Hamilton terms, if he can be real a second, forget his meal a second, put down his beer and tell his buddy how he feels for a second. Man,
0: good, good eye, Spencer. I thought I was going to be able to point that one out for you.
1: <laughs> I'm here for you. Uh, he basically says that he would do whatever was necessary to help Danny. I think we both absolutely believe that's true. But he's not comfortable with the idea of bringing in an outsider to do it. And Beard immediately believes that this is a gin blossoms, hey, jealousy situation. Which, Gin Blossoms are a classic example of a band of where I know a lot of their songs. I could not have even pulled from anywhere the name of that band for these for, the, for these song titles.
0: Uh, Quick question. Do you like Follow You Down or Hey Jealousy better?
1: I mean, What, what I mostly heard as a kid was uh, Till I Heard It From You. That was one I heard repeatedly as a kid. But yep. between those two, I like Hey Jealousy better. Okay, fair. Uh, Is this where it, you
0: want to argue with yourself about
1: seeing uh, Therapists? Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to reference what Ted said, and then I'm going to say it, I, why I, in some, ways, in some ways, have a similar view. Uh, Ted acknowledges that the jealousy thing is possible, but thinks that his distrust of therapists really is based on unpleasant, unpleasant experiences in couples therapy. Uh, help, me, help me get through this to explain it correctly. But I, what I heard him say essentially was that Michelle was meeting with a therapist on her own, and then they invited him to couples therapy. Yes. That, that's the right way to do it? That should not have happened. That's already an issue right there. But apparently, and I don't think Ted's lying about this or in any way misrepresenting it, he then really felt ganged up on and blamed for all the problems. Which, in that one, or maybe, I don't know if it was necessarily one session or a few that occurred, he's been put off therapy and has no desire to do it again. I... For similar reasons, I'm not big on therapy personally. I think it's great that it exists. I think it helps a lot of people. But I had a few unpleasant experiences the few times I've ever been to therapy, and I have no desire to repeat the practice, even though I logically know it is incredibly useful for a lot of people in the world. Okay. Um, So I perfectly understand where Ted's coming from, even though I, and I think the episode, frames it as being not a fair data point to color your entire views of the subject.
0: On. Yeah. I mean, I would say that like, first off, I don't think it's a great idea. I mean, there's probably ways you could do it. I don't think it's a great idea for someone to be seen a, uh, a therapist or psychiatrist and then to pull in someone else to that dynamic for a couple therapy. It's probably good. Well, there's probably a way to do it where that therapist can correctly call out the BS of the person they've previously seen. It's not a good dynamic though, for the person walking into it. So I, I, I certainly wouldn't recommend it. Um, and I would say that, uh, you probably need an independent arbitrator, right? You need somebody that neither one of you have seen before you both walk in sort of cold, uh, what, to what you said. I mean, I, I think a lot of people experience exactly what Ted's talking about, what you're talking about. Um, but I would say that like saying I had a bad experience at a therapist, therefore I don't want to go to a therapist anymore. is like saying I had a bad experience at a doctor and I don't care how bad my heart hurts. I don't care if I have a stroke. You're talking to me I'm here, man. Going back to a doctor, <laughs> so you know it's just kind of like crazy <laughs> logic. I mean, obviously there are bad therapists out there. A lot of people have bad experiences, but there's there's an awful lot of good ones too. So do, do
1: a lot of good. ones. So years? that's
0: my very serious response to that,
1: and I fully agree. I also ask you, how many years did you have to browbeat me to go back to a doctor again?
0: Yeah, I mean, you you <laughs> you uh, you do kind of fall into the camp of like, well, I did that. I didn't like it. Won't do it again.
1: Yeah, it's very much, I burned myself in this fire, fire bad, don't touch. Don't care if I can use fire for other things, fire bad.
0: Yeah, and this is not one to to listen to Uncle Spencer out there, kids.
1: Not asking people to, I'm offering that Ted's perspective is legitimate, even if flawed. Or it's human, even if flawed. How about that? Oh, I can
0: absolutely agree with that,
1: sure. Uh, Beard offers the example that, well, remember that time that... uh, I basically swore off dancers what you told me. Did you write down what his advice was, like? All people are different people. That is really solid advice. That is good advice. And Ted immediately acknowledges it. Beard also reveals that he then went on to date way too many dancers, but that's not necessarily criticism of that advice. The couple's date, meanwhile, was coming to an... Actually, I love that scene. That was a great scene. This is about the moment I started to really get into the episode again, was starting with that scene right there and maybe a couple scenes beforehand. It does start to get serious. It gets more serious. It's still funny. It still has some funny moments, but... We start to get much more into the natural character interactions that we weren't really getting when we were still coming off the dog death at the start of this episode. Yeah, it's
0: interesting that you picked that pivot point. I think it I think it really does reinforce to me that like that the you don't you like the humor. It seems like you do like the funny. I do enjoy it. What you don't like is the absurd.
1: I have a hard time with absurd. Yeah. Even I have had even though I love Bill Lawrence's other shows, I didn't always like the absurd that Scrubs like to go into. It doesn't work as well for me. You weren't but, you weren't a big fan of the dream sequences? Uh I liked them better than I liked the dream sequence we got this episode. This was kind of the nadir of that for me.
0: Yeah, fair. Uh,
1: The couple's date is now coming to an end. Rebecca and Will are parting on amiable, if not exactly warm terms.
0: Yeah, he wants wants her to go back to his place. And she says, well, I got it early morning. Just want to point out that you're fully capable of waking up early in the morning in his bed.
1: (laughs) Well... It's notable that Will immediately knows what she's actually saying. So he yep. looks over his shoulder, sees the two friends and sit and kind of shrugs and then politely says, okay, well, let me know how I did on the test. He completely knows what's going on. He's he's, he's a nice guy about it too, but it's fine. he needs to leave right now. It's time that she talked with her friends about the guy. That's why they were there, obviously. Rebecca apprehensively asks Keely and specifically Keely what she thought. Mm-hmm. Keely... Fumbles through declaring that he's a good match. Good match is always a very loaded term. She even frames it with that, well, he's the right age. Finances are in order and he's not shy. Again, we have that line thrown out.
0: Fucking hell, tell the truth. He's fine. That's it. Nothing wrong with that. Most people are fine, but it's not about him. It's why the fuck you think he deserves you. You Mm -hmm. deserve someone who makes you feel like you've been struck by lightning. Don't you dare settle for fine.
1: Roy is middle aged women counselor of the year. This guy I don't know if he's been I don't know if he's been getting training from the Yogamon sessions that he's been going to. I think last season kind of implied that perhaps he has, or he's just naturally good at this. That's why he gravitates to that group. But man, is this wonderful friend commentary and advice right there. It's in the Roy fashion. It's prompted by Roy's usual inability to tolerate bullshit for more than three point two seconds. And it's also directed at Keeley about no 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 you're the best friend here i shouldn't be the one that has to do this right now i mean
0: fair uh, that, that is fair but did you see that smile that keely shot oh th- th- this oh. If, keely,
1: if keely could fall even more in love with roy this line found a way
0: that was a hell of, that, that actress really crushed that that was like a jump your bones let's get married right now situation that was a hell uh, of a smile I'll,
1: I'll give you i'll give you this credit keely remarkably attractive woman but what she more than anything else to me is just so cute as a button when she smiles when she's happy you just get happy with her uh back at the dog part there is apparently a bit of a memorial to earl outside the gates which fans are respecting in their own respective ways (laughs) uh inside the coaches are playing would you call this some weird combination of handball and hacky sack i guess uh it's Flores lava That is Flora's Lava is done with an object rather than your person. Yes, very fair. When our new character arrives, Dr. Sharon Fieldstone, who, as I've already double-checked, is already a remarkably contentious character in the fandom, I suspect very intentionally by the writers. Fieldstone is a heck of a name for a psychiatrist. I feel like they were
0: bantering around the writer's room, like, let's come up with a good name for a psychiatrist. Fieldstone is way up there.
1: Fieldstone is perfect, too, because it embodies the kind of just professional rigidity that that woman seems to bring to bear to these kind of social interactions. Uh, There are many ways to interpret her interaction behaviors, particularly with Ted over the course of this episode. I'm going to save a point maybe for top ten to discuss those, because we get a lot. Let's go through actually the events that occur, though, so we can assess them later. But Ted immediately does what Ted does. Everybody else in the room does too. They go through just childish exuberance to greet her to the room. She doesn't respond to it at all. She's polite enough when she first enters, nods, even smiles a little bit. The moment they throw this childish exuberance at her, she closes up. She then closes up even more when she immediately wants to discuss the problem and they act superstitiously dismissal of discussion of the subject. Of, forgive me, the yips. From there, she really even clamps down even harder. She requires that he refer to her as a full doctor, which is just an anathema to Ted. Ugh. She essentially directly accuses Ted of denial when it comes to the, the, the issues of Danny's problem. And then she directly puts Ted on the spot by asking him to explain and self-analyze himself, which is not something that Ted necessarily likes to do. flirt with anyway. Though she's cold, I think it's fair to say cold, coldly professional, many different ways you could assign that cold to another word. She's clearly not lacking either confidence, pride, and ability. Remarking that as good as Ted is at his job, she's twice as good. Everyone in the room, I think is fair to say, is clearly intimidated by this woman. They are just silenced. Like, the teacher is in the room and expressed anger. All the kids are flinching away from her kind of right now. She goes off to set up her meeting meeting room uh, with Higgins offering his on her behalf. Almost even while she leaves rolling her eyes at the idea of the game that they've been playing and then leaves while staring directly into Ted's eyes as she does before then looking up and smirking at seemingly at his believe poster over the door as beard expresses.
0: Okay. Wait a second. Uh, first off, I'd like to say that I, I this is the Kobe Bryant of psychiatrists um, in that she calls her shot. She has so much confidence that it's kind of off putting, mm-hmm. but but very much can back it up. It's, it just reminded me of Kobe a lot. It was a, a lot of like, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll make this fucking free throw yeah. with my eyes closed if I have to to show you how great I am.
1: As is revealed over the course of this episode, this woman is remarkably skilled at her job. She is an incredible ability at this particular field and is also capable of being very warm and very supportive to the point of being life-changing or at least day-changing for several of the members of this team. No one could ever take that away from her.
0: Second for thing. Re- mm-hmm. Uh, she asks, what's your record on the, the Flora's Lava game? And Nate says 1236. That's the same it's exact that's the same exact number as uh this is like it's like becoming a lost episode with the repeat of the number. <laughs> it's very strange. I, I,
1: I have to double check, but I think this may actually be even be a, a reference to the, a reference into the movie Magnolia, too. I'll have to double check that as well. Uh she uh she leaves with beard expressing She seems fun. I like beard. Okay hammering at home. The fact that Beard was intimidated is interesting. Beard likes women that are intimidating, but this one just is like, I don't know how to handle you. You are so different from what we are. She's really aggressive. She She's aggressive and she's no tolerant to their kind of lightness. She views this, her job is serious. She views the situation as serious. She views her responsibilities as serious. And she's not going to let people take light of them. I think that might be an element of what she's bringing to bear, but we'll discuss this. Uh, Higgins promptly vacates his own office for the good doctor, agreeing that He's both simultaneously okay with it and overly polite <laughs> It appears to set up what is resembles, I don't know, a TV dinner stand in the corner of his own entranceway.
0: Yeah, poor
1: guy. Uh, Danny and Ted arrive and she very warmly greets Danny, the uh, self-declared murderer Rojas, and politely declines Ted's offer of health and immediately transitions into Spanish, quite good Spanish, so, but to but make J- Danny feel more comfortable.
0: level of linguistic uh, ability yeah.
1: here. That caught me off guard. Clearly it caught Danny off guard, too. And Ted doesn't even know how to respond to it. Uh, While that's happening, Rebecca and Will are at coffee. Eats, said that we're going to go meet meet for coffee later in the week. When Will is going into another of his, I'll say in fairness to him, less than interesting rambling stories.
0: I'd like to point something out. Uh, At the end of the night, he gets her to agree to lunch. And somewhere along the line, it got downgraded to coffee.
1: That's a very fair point I didn't make note of. Good call, man. Uh, She, meanwhile, is not focusing at all on the conversation and is just scanning the room, looking over at all the other people and all their other different forms and different stages of relationship while on point song choice, Wise Up by Amy Mann plays in our background. Shout out to you for the research. Uh, Rebecca then goes into a very self-realization kind of discussion where she discusses the idea that it's Dating is really odd, and it's really difficult to feel safe around strangers. And that Her friend Flo brought up the idea that intimacy is feeling open to attack, which is a unique way of pointing that, but I can see where she's coming from when she says it. And that you have to be brave. Also, I'll remember this. R- remind me of this. Flo is a child psychologist, right? Yeah. That may prove relevant over the course of this season. We'll find out. Do you think, uh, yeah. do you
0: think the reference to flow is because we're getting flow back and they just want to make sure the audience remembers that character?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I do
0: too. They do a lot of that stuff. Like, I don't know if you, um, you notice, but at the very beginning of the episode, this is kind of like tangentially related, um, during the, the announcers refer to the team as the Greyhounds as opposed mm-hmm. to Richmond. And yeah. they did that to remind you that their mascot is rich is a Greyhound Richmond because Greyhounds. they were, yeah, because they were a minute to, and a half. Later, yeah. So they do the a lot movie. of that stuff of like implanting little things in, in the audience to make sure you remember.
1: Mm -hmm. so not only do you have to be brave you have to be brave enough to let someone wonderful I have to be brave enough to let someone wonderful love me without fear of being hurt of being safe now in this moment she's forgot there's anyone there she's talking to herself this is a very on the nose speaking out loud moment of self realization which given that her date is there, is also a brutal moment to him with the direct implication that oh and that's not you
0: I don't know, like the fact that it might be my hubris here, but if I heard that, I'd have been like, yeah, that's a really insightful thing about dating. I'm not quite sure I would have taken it as she's breaking up with me. The fact that he realizes that she's breaking up with him and calls it and then is cool with it. I felt like it was sort of uh, the great tragedy of our guy, John, is that I only liked him on the way out. Yeah, he's very nice.
1: We can absolutely say and everyone agrees. He's a really nice guy. He's fine. He's sweet. He treats her well he's just an utterly uninspiring to her. And that's fine. We hope he finds, we hope he finds somebody good. He deserves it. I just think
0: that like Roy took a M16 to this relationship. Absolutely. Uh, w- once he had that, Left it that, in that tatters. once he did that, it was over. I mean, it was, there was no coming back from that.
1: Well, apparently it took three or four days for her to process this, to arrive at this moment of realization. But clearly Roy's words are echoing in his head in her head, like gunshots. Uh, In fairness, I think like you noted, Will realizes what's happening and takes it pretty damn well. Yeah. the circumstances.
0: Doesn't he even cheers her at the end or something?
1: She offers to buy his drink. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, there you go. But he does. Uh, Back on the pitch, Danny runs out again, reciting his maxim. He's back in old form. Danny Rojas, Danny Rojas, Danny Rojas. Uh, Yeah, the Pokemon has returned to the pitch. Uh, I'm curious to see, because they frame the scene as like, Danny's better, which if that's what they're going with is a little unrealistic from a therapy standpoint, I mean, you can feel really a lot better after a few sessions, emotionally so, that you've unbarred your soul, but like that you've suffered legitimate, suffered, gone through legitimate long-term improvement, that takes a lot of time and effort. So I'll be curious whether they're just writing off and saying, oh, he just had one trauma moment, he's had otherwise no other issues and baggage to unpack, he was able to talk through it and he's great now, or whether there's going to be a bit of recurrence as time goes on too.
0: We'll see. Uh i mean so therapy you make incremental gains over a long time that aren't linear so any he could, representation he could have a
1: great first day
0: any representation of this in a 30 minute show is going to be um disingenuous. so you're you if they keep this character and you continue to see like the guys like deal will. deal with it then i think you're going to you're going to be able to fairly criticize how they portray therapy i, I just think they have to rush it
1: no, I, I'm i not criticizing this point. I'm making a note to return to, I'm assuming this is going to be at least a recurring character in the form of Dr. Sharon.
0: I'd kind We're going see that.
1: her a lot. I'm assuming her meetings with players are going to be a recurring theme throughout this season.
0: Okay, let's just so, do it now. Did, did you like this character?
1: Doc, doc, uh, Dr. Sharon Fieldstone? Yeah. I think she's willfully, I think that she's intentionally meant to be off-putting, but as a character, I adore what she adds to the mix. Okay, I had hoped she was a plot device. Uh, I, I kind of hope, hope she goes
0: away. I hope it was just a, uh, to get Danny past this moment. Uh, and the last thing about the guy, other guys going in was a gag. We'll see. But I, I had hoped she was just a plot point.
1: Nope. I, I, I think very much she is going to be analyzing Ted or Ted's going to be analyzing himself in light of her before this season is done. And I think it's one of the key themes they're going to be going into is what may, what is Ted's background that has made him the person that he is and what might it be covering? Very possible. We'll see. Uh, Danny runs out. Dr. Fieldstone is notably watching from afar up in the bleachers, pointedly ignoring Ted's friendly wave. Say whatever you want to say about her cold professionalism. That one was just rude in my mind.
0: Yeah. Well, I thought uh, doc, doc to Doctor was rude, too. So I, I think this lady's, like, firmly in the rude category.
1: And we're going to assess why that is before we're before done. Uh, the coaches cross their fingers as uh, Danny lines up for, I'm a guessing, Midnight Poutine, or maybe just a regular corner kick. Everyone's hopeful, everyone's waiting. His kick is perfection. It is absolute beauty. It is awe-inspiring. It flies exactly where it needs to, and everyone is screaming, everyone is excited, they're running to mob Danny. Only, only two people are left behind in this excitement. There is Ted, who immediately looks to see how Dr. Fieldstone reacts, and there's Dr. Fieldstone, who, without much apparent reaction, it's hard to see in the distance, walks away, and goes back inside. Ted does not know what to make of that, and then with that kind of delay in his head, runs out to then greet Danny. Ted and Beard are meanwhile back in their office. They're discussing the lack of Harpo emojis. I, too, am offended by this. When Danny comes in to thank them for the incredible Dr. Sharon, Ted is very happy for Danny that he's feeling better, and asks him pointedly, um, how was she able to uh, help you? I would not encourage Ted necessarily to go into that too much. That's kind of player's private information, but... Danny really struggles to put into words exactly what it is that she said to help him. Just expressing that, you know, football is life, and also death, and also football too, but mostly life. It's like a toddler describing their favorite toy. But he he gets the thoughts out. Ted, you know, again, legitimately thankful that his player is doing better, says, you know, I'm going to go up and thank her before she leaves. He goes up to Higgins' office, Higgins still in the corner... But Higgins stops him because she's already in a session with another player. Colin, actually, who thanks her profusely and calls her amazing. Right before Zoro runs in and Dr. Zorro. immediately stops up in solid French. Maybe even quite a coy French. Polyglot that she is. Apparently, according to Higgins, at least a few of the players are interested in meeting with her before she leaves. Which I think is going to set up her having a much more permanent position on the team. Once again, as she's um, st- working to start her session with Zoro, she looks Ted right in the eye. And as she and as she's doing so, she closes the door in a scene which, to me, is directly mirroring the, the uh, last scene of the first Godfather movie. Yeah. Uh, of where she's locking him out of that aspect of his team, that aspect of his players. The players' lives that he most adores. Healy, meanwhile, is calling Roy to apologize for pressuring him to be a pundit. Good on her. She I feel like apologize. a little she shit you were a little shit but very nice that she would do so and she asked whether she can come over and they can enjoy a bottle of wine together but apparently she forgot it is yoga mom's night and roy seemingly quite happily runs over to watch with them uk's top reality show lust conquers all if you want to think of a title that just would lead me to never touch a show that one ranks high
0: i like that roy like gets in game time mode for this like he like looks down and it goes let's do is. this <laughs> <laughs>
1: Unfortunately for him, though, as they're going through the various contestants this week, Jamie Tart is Jamie apparently Tart on it. Do, 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 do. No, Jamie no, do, do, no. Do, 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 do. We're on Roy's camp. Stop it. Uh, apparently, just... Is it fair to say that Jamie looks even more like a douche here than the last time we saw him? I mean, leaned back, shirt off. You can't New tattoos, get of... I think,
0: even. You can't get rid of me. I'm the island's top score. Sexually. It's...
1: <laughs> to which Roy immediately responds the same way I would about just give me a fucking break but the yoga moms love him oh they start lusting over the young Jamie tart which immediately requires Roy to start downing an extra shot and I say shot cuz he houses this of rosé and well that- but
0: but uh, you know rosé's wine right I do know Rosé's wine. Okay, because there's no, you don't take shots. I mean, like, because you mentioned like heavy drinking and like he, I I, I thought he actually took a very small, like it wasn't even a full wine glass. That was like almost like a tasting amount. I thought it was a very small amount of alcohol.
1: Everybody else is sipping it though. He throws it back and I guarantee you to you, he's not done for the night with that. Maybe, maybe, but when he says hit me, I mean, it's like an ounce
0: of wine. Like it wasn't much
1: anyway. Again, notably, it wasn't just to drink. It was specifically in response to something that he didn't like to see. Fair. That's what gives me concerns. That's happening throughout the episode and every time we see it. But with that, I believe our recap is done.
0: There you go. Season two is over. Spencer coming through with a bang up job on a dense, long episode. I believe that's the longest episode of Ted Lasso we've had. I think it broached almost 40 minute mark. Um, And it's interesting. You know, we're kind of we're playing that same game we did with Mandalorian. Right. Where. The season one, uh, or season two, episode one of Mandalorian was almost an hour long. So we thought, oh, are we getting an hour long show? I, I don't know with with Ted Lazar, right? Are we going to get it's more than thirty sorry. minutes, or are they going to go back to their about twenty six to twenty nine minute uh, mark that they did through season one? Who
1: knows? We I mean, I think know. I would, I think I would kind of prefer the twenty six minutes because this episode felt at times a little bit overpacked with too many things that I would almost like. I would almost prefer it if they'd done fewer and we got to spend more time on them. Yeah, you know, we, that, we have- that
0: goes back to our fundamental difference and what we like about the show. Like, I I want all of the Ted Lasso, like concentrate <laughs> it, put it in my vein. I like a ton of it. I like all the jokes. I like all the absurd. Like, I I just love being in that world. So the more they give me, the better for for me. But um, okay, let's jump to our sports center top. No, no, no. Let's go to a, a train wreck of the episode. That's our We do train wreck of the episode first.
1: Uh, you usually put it on me. I'm curious to put it on you this time. Who is your train wreck of this episode? I feel like we've got more options than we did last episode. There's a lot of options for train wreck of the episode.
0: As I as I mentioned, like toward the end of season one, they were wrapping up some character arcs. They were getting more serious. There was not a lot of train wrecks. There were some train wrecks this episode, for sure. I think I'm going to go with Danny Rojas.
1: I think Danny Ross is a very fair bet.
0: He is a complete disaster for 32, 33 minutes of this, uh, this episode. And when he actually comes out of it, as I mentioned before, uh, it's not a great representation of like the progress that therapy gives you. It seems a little forced, silly, overdone insert word there, but it wasn't, wasn't really great when he just kind of runs back. Danny Ross, Danny Ross, and then performs a corner kick, which Spencer, you've, you watched a lot of soccer in your day, right? You've watched some soccer. I, I
1: even played soccer in my day, yeah. Okay,
0: this corner kick where he turns it into the upper corner of the, like, that's almost, that's like a half-court basketball shot, right? That's like, that very it's, rarely
1: happens. It's perfection. It's utterly beautiful to see that thing play out the way it does.
0: Yeah, it seems like uh, they, they basically, like, went like, okay, well, this guy's back on the court playing
1: basketball, like, and he's draining 50-footers. Just, I don't know. It seemed like it, a lot. Very it's one of those things of where I have had a, I've had a lot of friends that have gone to therapy where this, like, immediately after their session, the first session particularly, they're on cloud nine. Everything's great. All their problems are solved. And then they have a bit of the turndown and they have to go on to further, you know, improvement over time. A lot of people, it seems like they get that immediate, like, post-bump first therapy session up and then it actually becomes more real after that. So maybe that's what they're doing, but it we don't have enough to go on to really say yet. Okay, are you gonna are you gonna co-sign the the Danny Rojas, or do you have somebody else? I will co-sign it. I will also offer an audible mention. Um, Jan is going to be a weird character over the season if that's all he does. Yeah, and I agree. If, if this is if, the, if this character's sole role is just to be rude at various moments and it all everybody just chuckles at the Dutch, that's a really kind of weird character to introduce in episode one to be recurring. Uh, so. The fact that he's apparently not self, he's serving in a foreign league to him. surround lots of other people, but is apparently not self-aware enough to realize when he's being rude. That's not a, you know, functioning. That's not a, that is not a normal bio- biochemistry human being. You can't just laugh off that guy being Dutch. That's a weird combination of things you put to somebody.
0: Yeah. So I think this show is doing what I asked it to do, which was give me more characters, expand the cast. And that's, you know, remind, you know, I've made the comparison on this podcast before to The Office, right? That's exactly what The Office did. And there were characters in The Office, Creed Bratton, for instance, Kevin Malone, another, that were very one note for seasons. They eventually filled them out. They eventually gave them a backstory and they eventually gauged in in plot points that were not one note. But for a long time, they just came to them for a single joke that was repeated over and over again. I don't mind that in a sitcom. And so if they do that with Jan um, throughout this whole season, I'm cool with that. Um, I totally get why you might be like, ah, come on, do you really need that? But to me, that's that's what a sitcom is. Like, okay, okay. That, that we're getting the Yon joke now.
1: I, I very much co-signed Danny Ross for being very much the focus of the train wreck of this episode. It is centered around his trauma, his difficulty, his pain. And to what degree it's been su- successfully resolved in this episode, we'll see as time goes on.
0: Cool. All right. You ready to do the Sports Center Top 10, where we do 10, 10 on the nose, never never 11, never 9, things that we liked about the episode?
1: I'm going to have to hijack this just to unpack. We, we have one of our rare moments where we actually get to theorize in this show. This isn't a theory-based show that we usually work with here. But first one, I want to open up for discussion. Dr. Sharon Fieldstone, how do you interpret her interactions with Ted over the course of this episode?
0: Well, so it it really, there's this, there's this decision point that's way before the question, which is, is she a plot point? Is she a one-off character? Or is she going to be a recurring character? Now, you seem, I mean, when you're, you're, you're convinced that she's a recurring character, is that like something you've read? Or is that just what you, your opinion?
1: Uh, that's me reading the tea leaves. It's okay. not me reading, not me reading reviews or anything. I'm actually purposely not read any reviews. So I, Ooh, yeah. Look at that, is professional. It, This is me just saying, from what they've shown me, from how much they built this episode around, how much they leave it open there at the end, they seem to want to make her at least a three, four episode character.
0: Okay, yeah, and that's that may happen. I I just kind of thought she was like a plot point to get Danny over this thing, to get through this, this episode arc, which is the death of the dog, and then everybody coming together again as one big successful Champions League soccer team. So if... Let's say you're right. Let's say she's going to be a recurring character. Then I then then the question, I think, is a fair one, which is Mm -hmm. her interactions with Ted. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see them coming to a point where Ted engages with her and then he has some self-realization and then maybe even the character changes a little bit. And if that happens, Spencer, you could could open the door for getting back with his ex-wife.
1: Well, would that be a thing? I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd like that, but it's it, that is a possible direction that could be going in with it. It's one, it's one of those things of where we get enough shown that her seemingly almost sp- specific coldness to Ted and the coaching staff could just be like professional distance that to do her job she can't be necessarily too friendly or warm or maintain that kind of constant Ted closeness the way he likes to do because it would interfere with her ability to be you know a certain degree of an impartial viewer. It also could be that she views herself, her responsibility as the players and getting too chummy and too, too involving too much Ted would interfere with her ability to act, actually function independently with them. It may also just be that she just personally doesn't respond well to the kind of constant closeness that Ted needs and she likes to be able to maintain a distance in all of her social interactions. Well, that could be possible.
0: It's you nice know, to the, meet you. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, I can see how
1: that's off-putting. It, <laughs> Definitely is off-putting to her. Everybody else in the room loves it. That's part of the reason it catches Ted off guard, that she's so seemingly negative to it. It's also possible that she immediately, very accurately seems to deduce what each person needs, almost like as a superpower, for how quickly she seems to get through to these players. Yeah, that's uh, that's the part where
0: they're speeding it up.
1: It it very much borders on unrealistic. uh, If they're speeding it up, or we don't see some kind of extra meetings in the future to try to justify some of this. But it's, it's possible that she may also just have a good read on Ted. We've kind of picked up in the past that Ted has a fair amount of actually trauma in his childhood. Or various things that he's kind of buried behind this just lustrous facade. Yeah, his dad dying, being attacked by a dog is a new one we have added and here. And
0: then adopting the dog and then the dog dying.
1: It, yeah, all about the same time his dad died too from the timing of it that they offered as well. There's a lot of things that suggest that Ted may be purposely very friendly, purposely want to constantly help those around him. We heard that being a problem with Michelle and leading to the breakup of their relationship, um, as perhaps a bit of a cover for his own deep-seated feelings of loss, trauma, feeling alone, and a lot of this happy facade may very much be the sad clown. She notably, when she sees Ted doing some of this, curses the only time we see her do it to basically just force him to admit what he actually feels it's possible her coldness may be a long-term degree of work that she's doing on on Ted um, in terms of trying to hammer through and get him out of this just kind of comforting facade that he offers of being constantly happy and constantly friendly and constantly supportive to really address the reasons why he is that way. If so, that's a very risky gamble on her part. I don't have enough evidence to go on yet that that's the case. I just find it odd how successful she is with everyone else and how pointedly... I would say outright rude she is when it comes to Ted at several certain moments.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like Higgins makes this comment when Ted goes up to to see her where he's like, Yeah, before she leaves, she just wanted to, you know, a couple of guys wanted to see her. At this point, I almost hope she's a recurring character. The thought you've put into this character, I maybe I'm crazy, but I was like, I just thought she was like, let's just like a plot thing. I, the way she was interacting
1: with Ted and stuff, I did not break it
0: down at this level. Uh, So,
1: you know, shout out to you. I think the players are going to insist that she come back based on how well they gravitated to her. I think it's it's going to form a division between Ted and the team of how much they like her and view that they need her. And then Ted feeling like the somewhat jilted father that the kids that he cares about, the aspect of the team that he most cares about in terms of supporting and nourishing these young guys. They're looking to someone else for that as if Ted is in some way failed in that regard.
0: Maybe all right mine for the sports center top 10 is we got the line not too dissimilar throughout Paul Thomas Anderson's 1999 Opus Magnolia <laughs> this is an epic psychological drama ah. film written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. You talk about an ensemble cast, Jerry Blackman, Tom Cruise, Philip Baker, Philip Seymour Hoffman, William H Macy, John C Riley, Julianna Moore. I mean, oh my like what this is almost like one of those like hollywood movies where they like have like meryl streep at all in like some sort of like wonky holiday thing like that's how many people were in this damn movie that's not mm-hmm. what i want to talk about though i want to talk about paul thomas anderson and his movies because i want to play a little game of what's your favorite paul thomas anderson movie here are some nominees magnolia there will be blood phantom thread Boogie Nights, Punch Drunk Love, and a 24-minute brilliant piece of cinema that I have seen multiple times called Cigarette and Coffee. Spencer, of the options I gave you or any other movie that you might know that Tom, Tom uh, Paul Thomas Anderson made, uh, what's your favorite? And if you want me to go first, I can.
1: I'll offer one that I do definitely adore, but I think it's largely carried by just an utterly towering performance. There Will Be Blood is Damian Lewis is one of not Damian Lewis uh, Daniel Danger Davis. What, Daniel Lewis is it's one of his finest roles. He kills the absolute shit out of that role and it makes it incredibly memorable. The film itself is good, but it's just allowing him an opportunity to be one of the finest actors alive today.
0: I drink your milkshake. Boy, what yeah. a what a thing. Um, I'm going to say for me um, my favorite of those is definitely There Will Be Blood. But I got to give an honorable mention to Boogie Nights. I thought Boogie, Boogie Nights was a is a really, awesome. really good I,
1: movie. I was afraid to say that was my favorite, but that is an awesome it film.
0: It really holds up. I mean, it's a it's a great, great movie. And it's it's one of those that goes by so fast. It's almost like a great airplane movie.
1: Man, you're not going to get Boogie Nights on an airplane. It's a film about the porn <laughs> industry. There's a remarkable amount of nudity. There are actual porn stars having sex in that film.
0: I, I would like to point out that there oftentimes you can get like Films that have nudity it on an airplane. I always feel like a weirdo watching it, but uh, yeah. uh, um, Anyway, I don't know. There will be blood. I think's got to win that boogie nights.
1: Do you have another one? Oh, another one for our Sports Center top ten. Yeah, Uh, Roy is still the greatest character of this show. Yes, yes. They have designed such a wonderful, rounded, accomplished, emotionally aware, coarse son of a bitch that I adore in this character. It's great. He's back in wonderful form. It made me happy.
0: Yeah, he's my favorite character for sure. I'll go to mine. Um, uh, this is one I'm, I'm doing because I, I was fairly certain you didn't know the reference unless you looked it up. And that's uh like Chuck Knoblock throwing to first. Um, Did not get that one. Though. Yeah. So that's about the Y word that I don't say. Um, and it's the most famous, I would say, example mm. of the Y word in modern baseball. Uh, it's easy. New York Yankees second baseman. And he was the Rookie of the Year. He won several World Series rings. He went four All-Star games. But after all that stuff, he started having trouble throwing to first base. He's a second baseman, Spencer. This is That's This is rough. 15 feet away, and he couldn't hit the first baseman. Um, it was a strange thing to see play out. He did, lo- it did ruin his career. Um, and he is the prime example of of somebody uh getting the y word and it completely taking him for example in uh 1999 he had 26 errors throwing to first base jesus christ yeah it was wild uh so yeah there you go he eventually retired in 2003 so he he lasted four more seasons um only after uh after that that y word season
1: last one for me i think i'm at my 10 um Seeing the yips play out the exact same as Macbeth from Blackadder was utterly hilarious. And it continued to make me chuckle throughout this episode. And I will probably see who I can use the phrase yips to set off in the future as time goes on.
0: Ugh, I don't like it. Uh, my last one is um, one of the great moments, um, great moments they keep coming back to, which I, I just hope we get a lot of, is back in Ted's office, what's happening, right? Yeah. I love that. And there was one where they cut to Ted's office and Ted says something about whatever app he's playing on has added emojis. Mm-hmm. And Beard says one time they added Groucho, but no Harpo. That's a reference to the Marx Brothers. The Marx it Brothers is. were an American Family Comedy Act that was successful in vaudeville on Broadway. Actually kind of like the quintessential example of vaudevillean comedy. And they were in motion pictures from 1905 all the way till 1949. That is 44 years in the business if you're keeping, keeping score there, folks. That is pretty darn impressive. So that's the Marx I, Brothers.
1: Illustrious and hilarious career if you've never seen any of their films. Um, then we will – do you want to wrap up with Ted's Life Lessons? I think we've done like 30 different examples for sports our Top 10, so I think we're ready for Ted Lass's Life Lessons.
0: Ten. Ten on the nose, as always. We nailed it. All right. Ted's Life Lessons. Okay um giving you the quote here and i think it's just something for everybody to just hold on to for this episode i give it to you without a heck of a lot of commentary it's funny to think about the things in your life make you cry just knowing they existed then become the same thing that make you cry knowing that they're now gone i think those things come into our lives to help us get
1: from one place to a better one mhm yep it's a teary eyed line. It's a wonderful line. It's wonderful advice. This is Ted offering his most Ted wisdom you can. You can.
0: I think that the, the lesson there is that last sentence. I think those things come into our lives to help us get from one place to another. And basically what it's saying is when you're dealing with loss, when you're dealing with a memory of something uh, that, that is gone now, um, it's good to find the positive in it. And that's what Ted's landing on. He's saying it helps you get from one place to another. You find the positive in it. The next is Ted Girl Talk. Here's that his good friend, Rebecca, future wife, good friend, Rebecca, has a new boyfriend and he's hearing all about it. And this is so great. Blah, 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 blah. A lot of people would ask questions like, I don't know, where did he take you on the date? Does he have a lot Mm -hmm. of money? What kind of car does he drive? Have you had sex yet? These are the type of questions most people would ask. What does our main man, Ted, ask? Is he nice to you?
1: Getting right to the heart of the matter. It's what Ted can do. Phenomenal. And then number three here, wrapping it up for
0: Ted's life lessons of the episode, season two, episode one. All people are different people, and that is just a lesson that we should all keep. uh, Whether we're selecting psychiatrists or we're just you know dealing with neighbors or coworkers or just any of the people you have to deal with in life, all people are different people.
1: Yep, and I adopted that philosophy to try. And there you go, a coconut covered life
0: lessons of the episode, Spencer. If you don't have anything else, I think I'll wrap up. I think we're good. Okay, all right. Well, we're going to wrap up here. This is season two, episode one of uh, uh, ted lasso and we here on the lasso lowdown will be with you every single week that's right every single week coming to you on the saturday after the episode premieres we really appreciate you hanging in there with us we hope that maybe this is one of the longer episodes we're going to do but who knows we don't know how long each of these ted lasso episodes are going to run here in season two but i do know we'll be with you the whole way we really enjoy doing these episodes and if you're enjoying please make sure to subscribe to the podcast rate and review us We read every review. We have an awful lot of fun reading those reviews. And if you have any advice for us, please go to magnumtalks.com up right-hand corner. You can click contact us. little form you fill out, it'll come right to me. Um, I will read them. And if it's something that we can bring to the podcast, often we do. We love listener engagement. We love our listeners. So thank you for listening. And we will be back with you next week for season two, episode two. Thank you.